This week's episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Vodafone Comedy Festival, which is happening this weekend, July 28th to 31st in Ivy Gardens, Dublin. 80 amazing comedy acts across five fully seated indoor venues. And uh, it's happening this weekend, so tickets, I'm sure, are limited. But if you go on to Vodafone Comedy, Dot com, you can uh, find uh, tickets to lots of great acts, such as, Neil, help me out here, Bill Burr. Yes. D- David O'Doherty. Yes. You're just confirming, okay, Des Bishop. Yep. Milton Jones. Um, yep. Sashir Zameda. Yes. Jason Byrne, Adam Buxton, Maeve Higgins. Hold on. Yes. Chris Gethard. Yep. Alison Spittle, Foil Arms and Hog, Neil Delamere. Yep. Sarah Pascoe. Yeah. Any comedian you could reasonably want to see this weekend will be uh, performing at the Vodafone good, Comedy good qualification. Festival. Absolutely. So uh, go to VodafoneComedy.com and grab a ticket. Uh, we'll see you there. It's our last ad for the Vodafone Comedy Festival. It's our last ad for the Comedy Festival. So I guess we need to say thanks to the Vodafone Comedy Festival for sponsoring the show up until now and, and break a leg on the weekend. Hope break you have a break good lots of legs. Many legs to be broken. Thanks for making us seem like a proper podcast by advertising on us. Very much so. That's the ad. And now, here's on with the show. Welcome to the Weekly General Meeting, a podcast about creativity. This week's show is entitled IRL In Real Life and features four guests from recent live shows. Uh, we're trying to do alternate team shows and then longer interview shows. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. We've never drawn any, anyone's attention to that before. No, kind of happened organically and, and then we said, ooh, that feels nice, let's keep doing it. We did. We said, ooh, that feels nice, let's keep going. Um, so this week's episode is uh, is particularly interesting. All the guests contributed on the theme of life online. Um, on this week's show, we have comedian Keith Farnan, essayist and WGM regular Megan Nolan, and uh, music from from Video, Video Blue. Blue. Yeah, and yeah. then a performance also from the fantastic Stephanie Preisner uh, to round things off. She's a, a brilliant. Um, Brilliant, essay, a brilliant playwright and actor. And she has a show, a TV show? She's got a show coming out, yeah, in, Octo- in October um, called Can Cope, Won't Cope. It's going to be on RT2 and Amy Huberman's going to be in it. Sweet. Yeah, so so look look out for, for Stephanie at the end of the show. You did the Stephanie um, piece on a, a solo run to Dublin. Yeah, Lingo, the Lingo uh, Spoken Word Festival uh, asked us to curate an hour on their stage uh, in the Workman's Club. And Stephanie came on as one of the guests. Is that the show that you interviewed Kieran from Galarentos? Yes, yes, that was where I did one of my three interviews <laughs> in are, the history of this <laughs> endeavour. What were the other interviews? Um, to Kieran, I, I spoke to. Um, oh God, who else did I interview? Oh, AB Philbin Bowman, you did that. I did AB Philbin Bowman in the church on yeah. Stephen's Green, and I spoke to who? Um, Manuela Spinelli? Oh, Trapattoni's um, um, uh, uh, speech therapist. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, translator, yeah, yeah. Who, who was perennially by his side during his tenure. She's yeah, lovely. That, what a lovely woman. You wouldn't let me co-present that show with you because I was just coming back from... You said you weren't going to be there and I, I made other plans and then you turned up. Yeah, but then you wouldn't let me do anything. Because no. I'd already organised a different presenter. And there I was, like a pleb, working the sound desk. Yeah. Jerk. Plans need to be made, Neil. But you could have changed the plans. You, see, you just swan in. and Wasn't just, the D-Day uh, landings? 
No, but Corey was there. Corey was there. She did My a great friend job. Corey had come along to our present with Corey. Me. Well, yeah. Okay, mostly your friend Corey. Yeah. My acquaintance. Yeah. So that's what that happened with. <laughs> that is what that <laughs> happened with. <laughs> cool. Well, we hope you enjoy this week's show. Um, it's really good. Um, Shane, do you want to explain the first guest? Yes, I do. Uh, our first guest is a hairy comedian from Cork. Uh, he's a really interesting guy. His name's Keith Farn. He used to be a lawyer. Um, he actually interned for a summer once in the Innocence Project. Well, from Serial? Uh, well, yeah, I guess so. And, and, other, and other things. Yeah. And, um, and wow. uh, yeah, yeah, he used to like do human rights lawyership stuff. And he did a show, uh, a comedy show in Edinburgh once, all, all about the death penalty. Uh, he's also done shows about um, religion and, and racism and sexual politics. He does shows on really big, interesting topics. I'm pretty sure he was on Live at the Apollo as he well. He was, yes. He, I, you'd, know, you'd know him. He's doing very well for himself. Oh, no, I like Keith Farnan. He's great. Um, yeah, and, and uh, last year he appeared at one of our shows in the 100 Club and he talked about social media. And here it is. Myself and my wife, we wanted to have a natural birth, uh, so we didn't put anything on Facebook or Twitter. <laughs> and and, and, and we, just, we just thought, you know, we're, we're going to do this because, yeah, for a number of reasons, we didn't want to put anything up there. Because the first one is, you know, anything can happen uh, during a pregnancy. You know, there can be a, a miscarriage, uh, and that's an awful thing to happen, and it makes a terrible status update. And... And... It does. I don't know what you're ooing at. Uh, I don't know what you're ooing at. I really don't. Um, and, and, you know, we were, we were worried that, you know, because you Google things when, when you're pregnant. You Google things like, what can kill my baby? And Google just goes, everything. Everything can kill your baby. Uh, even Googling what can kill my baby can kill your baby. Um, so that was another reason we didn't want to put anything up. The, the other reason, of course, we didn't want to put anything on the, uh, the, the internet is because I've signed the iTunes terms and conditions. And according to those, they own her. Um, under section 127, subsection B, the user hereby of Apple hereby gives us their child. As long as the child is white, because they're inherently racist. Uh, it is Apple after all. And, and I, you know, I, I, I noticed something, though. Even though we didn't put anything online, you know, we wanted to talk to friends. We wanted to see friends, tell them what was happening. Even though I didn't do any of that, I didn't put anything online, I noticed after a few weeks that these ads started popping up on my laptop, you know, recommending, you know, baby things. And I thought, that's, that's of interesting, kind of invasive, invasive, a little bit creepy. And this culminated, this culminated with a, with a recommendation on Amazon of a certain product for babies. And, and Amazon, I have to say, knows me better than anyone, knows me better than my wife. Uh, Amazon knows things about me my wife will never know. Uh, Amazon knows exactly how many science fiction and graphic novels I've uh, bought over the years, which would make any woman think I was grooming a 15-year-old boy. Um, <laughs> So when Amazon recommended to me that I should get the LG Baby Tracker, which is basically a bracelet you put around the wrist of your child and you can follow their, that child for the rest of their lives, that appeals to everything that is wrong with me. <laughs> that just felt... And I know what you're thinking, Keith, that's not really respecting her privacy, but let me tell you why it appealed to me. According to research done by my imagination... 100% of children have been kidnapped. <laughs> Every child's been kidnapped. You've all been kidnapped. We've all been kidnapped. Thankfully, 99.95% of us are returned. 0.05% uh, are not returned. It's sort of a paedophile tax uh, for society. Uh, or as we called it in Ireland, the Catholic Church tax. Um, 
I'm not sure if you can relate to that over here. I don't know, was there any institutions in England that hid paedophiles during the 70s? Did you have that? The BBC, you said that, I couldn't possibly comment. Because uh, if I said it, they won't commission. I mean, if I use the phrase that the BBC are the Catholic Church of Entertainment, I'd never get commissioned. Um, but thank you for that, thank you for that. I appreciate you, you contributing. That was vital to that section of the show. Uh, I would have had to wait. Uh, now I'm lunging for no reason. I don't know why I did that. I, I realized when this happened with, 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 with Amazon, I realized that I had not been paying attention at all to the internet and what's been happening and the invasiveness. I just haven't. I've become incredibly complacent and arrogant and just ex I expect everything for free. I have become greedy. You know, I go online, I walk into a coffee shop, I go anywhere and they say, do you want free Wi-Fi? I'm like, of course I want free Wi-Fi. I'm entitled to free Wi-Fi. It's in the Constitution. You know, and they'll say to you, that's fine, sir. You can have free Wi-Fi. We just need some details like your phone number, your address, your mother's maiden name, your dog's first name. Not <laughs> that it has a second name. I don't know what that is. I probably meant to say first dog's name, but I think dog's first name is so much funnier there. And, 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 and I realized that not only am I greedy and complacent, but they're so much more clever than I am. I mean, I'm not a clever man. I'm, a, at best, a highly motivated idiot. <laughs> and I, I realized how clever the language is, how clever it is. For instance, you know, you want to use an app, a free app, perhaps. All they say to you is, well, all we need you to do is, is turn on location services. Oh, what a wonderful phrase. Location services. Who doesn't want their location serviced? I would say to you, sir, yes, I will have my location serviced immediately. What your phone should actually say at that point is, where are you? Where are you going? And can I follow you? If your phone said that, you would take out your Samsung and you would, because I can't afford an iPhone, you would take out your Samsung and you would put it down and you would walk the fuck away. And all you would hear is the Terminator music going dun 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 dun. <laughs> and, and this is the thing, this is the thing. I, I, I'm going to have to get up to speed very quickly because very soon, and my daughter, she's nine months old. She's nine months old. And, and so in about three months' time, she'll be asking for her first Facebook page. And I'm going to have to sit down with her. I'm going to have to say to her, I'm going to have to say, darling, sweetheart, I, I don't call her darling, sweetheart. I, I have another name for her, but that's private. And I'm not going to tell anyone that, not even the internet. And, and I'll be like, listen, I, I, I really don't think you should go on Facebook. I, I don't think it's appropriate for you and your friends. I think you don't understand how Facebook are actually exploiting you. What they're doing is they're taking all of your data and they're packaging it together and profiling you and they're selling it on to companies who will advertise to you, but not just companies, also insurance companies who are using that information to cancel claims. I don't think you should be using this. I don't think you should be allowing your personal data to just fly out there and she just... Da, da. No, data, data. I don't think you understand what I'm getting at. It's, it's, it's incredibly important. You've got to understand that basically Facebook is looking at you the same way the Chinese government looks at peasants when it needs organs. It's just going to harvest and harvest and take it from you. And it's not going to give you any money. You need to know this. Okay, you really need to understand this. And she'll, she'll look at me and go, Baba. Yes, the one-child policy in China is horrendous. It really is. I'm glad you're aware of that. But you're getting off point. You need to know that Mark Zuckerberg the king of all this, isn't actually Asperger's. He's just pretending to be, which pisses every other person with Asperger's off. Because they're like, he's just a dick who doesn't care about anyone. We genuinely have a problem. We really do. Ta-ta. Yes, I'm, I miss Tom from MySpace as well, sweetheart. I really do. He never spied on you. And you have to understand, it's not just Facebook. It's not just Facebook, you know? I, 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 I don't want to get into just one organization. Do you, do you work for Facebook, by the way, Dan? Do you work for, which company do you work for? Consultancy firm. Oh, good man. Fucking done for hire. That's fantastic. Well, 
We're going to gun for hire, mouse for hire. That's probably better fucking analogy there, quite frankly. We're going to play a little game. Want to play a little game? Because comedy's about fun, everyone. Really, we still haven't recovered from the miscarriage joke earlier. I don't know if I'll keep that in. I don't know if I just... Oh, really? Just you had to fucking dig hard, dig hard. Now, so here's the game. It's a very simple game. I'm going to read out a quote, and after the quote, you just, if you know who said it, just fucking shout it out. Go for your life. It's a crazy place. Okay, here's the first quote. Uh, we, know, we know where you are. We know where you've been. We can more or less know what you're thinking about. Any idea there? Any idea? That's Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google. That's right, that's right. All these, you know, we know where you are, we know where you've been, we can more or less know what you're thinking about. It's a shame there wasn't a book written, you know, sort of set in the 1980s sometime by some guy called Orwell who had the thought police. That's a, that's a shame that he didn't get. That's the first quote. Okay. Second quote. If you have something that you don't want anyone to know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Any idea? Any idea? That's Eric Schmidt, the CEO of Google. Um, this game gets easier as we go on. It gets very easy. It's very easy. It's very easy. Um, what I love about that is when he said, um, if you have something you don't want anyone to know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it, uh, is that immediately hackers uh, got into his accounts and discovered he had like a, a yacht worth 150 million offshore. Uh, he'd never paid taxes and he had three mistresses. Uh, but you can't find that out right now unless you go to ask.com. Um, <laughs> Uh, of course, the final, final, final quote. Uh, uh, the best way to take control over people and control them is to take a little of their freedom at a time, to erode their rights by a thousand tiny and almost imperceptible reductions. Yeah. Adolf Hitler, that's right. Hitler said that. <laughs> but didn't he sound a lot like Eric Schmidt from Google? Didn't he just the, the intonations and the tone and the... Mm. Final quote, I'll leave you with this. Um, I have over 4,000 emails, pictures, addresses, SNS. People just submitted it. I don't know why. They trust me. Dumb fucks. Mark Zuckerberg. What a dick. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I've been Keith Farnan. You have a lovely evening ahead of you. Take care. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. KeithFernan.com is the website for all the info on Keith and his upcoming endeavours. At Keith Farnan is his Twitter handle. And he's, uh, well, we're checking out and it's going to see because he's funny. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Confirmation. Um, our next guest is a regular contributor to the live shows and the podcast. She's an essayist and a journalist currently working for The Guardian and on her first book, I Believe. <laughs> it's not called I Believe. Remember last, last week we talked about... Your, 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 the reedy thing. Yeah, well, you're making me read stuff. No, I gave you a script and I, 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 I explicitly <laughs> said, don't read this, just look at it. And then... Okay, I'm sorry. I'm try, I am trying. to wash over you. I'm trying my best. But um, regardless, I think anyone listening will know what I was trying to say, which is that Megan Nolan is an essayist and a journalist, currently working for The Guardian and also working on her first book. I believe so. I believe so, is not the title of the book. No. Just to be clear. Um, yeah, so Megan's performance is from the 100 Club in London. Um, this is Megan reading a piece called Watch Me. Um, check it out. I'm going to read an essay and uh, it's called Watch Me. I've never been so actual, I've never felt so actual as I do when I'm sleeping with somebody or know I'm being seen. Sex makes me feel realized and present in a way I never do when I'm alone. When I feel attractive and it's summer and I walk around Dublin looking back into the eyes of the men watching me, I feel like a real living person momentarily. 
Life has taught me that being fuckable and young as a woman is to be real. Nothing else is guaranteed. But if you are those things, somebody will pay attention. Knowing that Lena was always watching me made me feel the same way. It was like adolescence all over again, being acutely aware of these odd corners of myself I hadn't considered. I returned to my own Facebook pictures day after day like a dog to its vomit, pushing my mind into hers to imagine what she saw when she looked at them. I was fat in that one, it was true, but I looked beautiful in this one. I knew the beautiful ones hurt her, and it made me sad I could not be more beautiful to hurt her more. Sometimes I miss her now that it's all over. I miss the feeling of being regarded, reported on, virtually examined. And I miss watching her as well. The nauseating but undeniably erotic thrill of seeing a new picture of her. Sometimes I can still feel the low thrumming ache of her being allowed to exist out there, more beautiful than me. I'm three episodes of Gossip Girl and a bottle of wine deep into Friday night, squinting at Instagram. What I'm doing is rapidly flicking back and forth between a picture of my own face and a picture of my then-boyfriend's ex-girlfriend's face. I've spent a year obsessing over Lena, and it feels like I'm on the brink of some insight at this moment, like I can finally place myself in a definitive rank relative to her. I'm trying to gauge the specific measurements of her face and how they weigh up against mine. The curl of her lips, the circumference of her plaintive Bambi eyes, Back and forth, over and over, I flip between the two of us. I stare at her perfect face with such concentration that my phone should burst into flames like I'm in the crap Web 2.0 remake of Carrie. I'm on the verge of a breakthrough here, breathing quickly and feeling a deep yawning pain in my chest. I'm not sure whether the breakthrough is calm acceptance or a disastrous and irreversible ego collapse. A thought comes to me then, clear as a bell, and the thought is, her face is nicer than your face. I've never let myself consciously think this sentence before, but its truth has been at the crux of the pointless but complex experiment I have been conducting for the last 12 months. It feels pleasurably harsh, feels the way it used to feel when I started smoking and loved the direct hit to the raw part of my throat, somehow both maddening and deeply satisfying. I settle down into my new thought, turning it over in my mind. Her face is nicer to look at than my face. I was told about Lena obliquely, in hushed, shadowy fragments, by my then-boyfriend, David. They had separated after six years together, and she moved back home to the Middle East. They had a fraught relationship afterwards in which they sent vicious letters one moment and desperate avowals of love the next. The first I knew of her was when she added me on Facebook and immediately mailed me to say it was an accident and must have been because her fingers slipped. Slipped from what, I wondered? Slipped from their previous activity of lightly fondling my profile pictures? I had only known her as a name from his past until then, but suddenly she was a flesh and blood, slightly unhinged woman. When she first discovered I was seeing him, she had looked me up and began a long and extensive trawl through my social media. She emailed him throughout each day to comment on her discoveries, and these he fed back to me. We would sit on my bed discussing it. Lena had become obsessed by me, and he was obsessed by her because he was still in love with her. She said he looked fat in this picture, he would say, scrolling down, but sexy in this one. I grabbed the computer from him to take a closer look. Lena said I was childish and not as pretty as her, but she also said she thought I was a good writer. Lena said I was overweight and most likely not a good lover because I was so young. Lena checked my Twitter account daily and emailed him to ask what the jokes meant because she didn't understand the internet properly. Each, each, each time a new observation of Lena's was reported back to me, 
I would go back and look at the post in question, analyzing an innocent photograph or a link to slow, meaningless death. I felt alive under her vivid, hateful gaze. I started, I started to think of her when I did anything at all on the internet. When I wore a coquettish outfit and took a selfie, I thought, I hope you like this one. I wrote poems about him on my blog, which she would read and report back on. When she says the bird of your back, does she mean your tattoo of a bird or is it a metaphor? And so I wrote even prettier poems, exaggerating even further the depth of our relationship, just so she could see them and know that he was mine. I pretended even harder to be a flippant, holly-go-lightly character who didn't care what she thought, all the while gradually altering my entire online life to be a performance for her. I photographed our Valentine's dinners, our Sunday morning eggs, our beach walks with a dog, using her as the constant filter. Lena was the, was the distant curator of the life I desperately wanted with him, one which never existed. One day when I was looking at Instagram, I saw a mutual friend had posted a picture of Lena. She was serving a meal composed entirely of what appeared to be expensive foliage, and she looked like the most wholesome and gorgeous person I'd ever seen. The picture was so at odds with my impression of her as a vindictive and cruel person that immediately the situation toppled. I became obsessed with her. I looked at pictures of her several times a day. She was delicate and adored. She loved animals and small children. She went to gallery openings and had a cool job that didn't involve photocopying. But most painfully, she was beautiful. She was beautiful like shy French girls in films who are about to come out of their shells are beautiful. She was beautiful in the way I've always resented because I'm nothing like it. Enormous sad eyes, prominent bones which look in danger of shattering at the lightest touch, visibly full of barely pronounceable troubles which men long to fix. Girls like that have terrified me for my whole life. They're eccentric and whimsical, light as air, full of private mystery. They are Amelie, and I am Amelie's perpetually drunk and unshowered housemate, always waking up Amelie from her quirky dreams by trying to order pizza at 5 a.m. I could never mentally compete with Lena after that. I kept on going back between our pictures, trying to end up with a different result, but it never emerged. David and I moved in together, and I tried to forgive how beautiful they had been together, how beautiful I would never be. I tried to be open to what love might feel like when I knew I was not the prettiest girl he had ever touched. I wrote a poem about what it was like to live with him, about things you give up when you sew two lives together, and why the sacrifice might be worth it. Trying to be romantic, I sent it to him in the post so he could read it in his hands instead of a screen. The poem said... On Mead Street, the children throw eggs and other foraged sundries at the splintered window. The dog pads away with resigned indignation, impervious to the laughing coos we emit from the couch, to privately vibrate with fright and wait it out. We communicate in shrieks and pokes, theatrical frowns, like excitable characters in a film we would both hate, and collapse frequently in piles of sweaters on our freezing bed. It was not such a loss as I feared to spit everything in half, although loving you has made my brain half soft, and sometimes I miss the sharp, mean corners of it. I don't walk around feeling untouchable anymore, or that everything stops when I leave the room, but nor do I want to hurt myself or sit in the dark and shake so much. So who could complain, really, about the vanishing wind which once blew toughly in my chest as I took every corner at speed, hunting people to be disappointed by? It's gotten colder, and your hair grew long, to warm the milky ears I never tire of breathing on. At dinner that night, having waited all through the starters and most of our main courses for him to say something, I asked him, well, what did you think of the poem? Eh, he said. Have you tried editing it? I stopped eating. I'd finished. 
I have tried that, I said. I really have. Thanks. MeganNolanWriting.tumblr.com is where you can read more from and uh, presumably more about Megan. And she's also on Twitter at MMeganNNolan, uh, as uh, all one word, as uh, Twitter handles uh, generally are. And uh, yeah, she's well worth a follow as well. Very good, very good tweeter. It's not, like, there's no way to say very good tweeter without sounding uh, horrendously condescending, but there, it's, it's been said, it's out there. And uh, we're not doing another take. This is definitely the last take of this link. Uh, so, Neil, who's next up on the show? Uh, next is Jim O'Donoghue Martin, a.k.a. Video Blue, a London-based musician from Dublin via Dundalk. Um, the song we have is Sound of the Snap, which he performed in the 100 Club on Oxford Street. Yeah, really good. I really enjoyed his that, actually. I am, uh, yeah, it was great. I'm so delighted. This is like the fifth time that we've done this, that we've actually got to the end, and it's okay. Okay, let's quit while we're ahead. Yes. Video Blue. But the only thing check I'll be it con- out. <laughs> check it out. Yeah, the, the only thing I'm concerned about though is that it, that was that the, this whole link was a bit boring. Parcels in the pole. Drop your chores to the floor. Exotic moons and Les Baxter. More than happy to close Breathe a ten piece This could go either way Do the doo-wop thing in now Wait for me, vibe Never seen you dancing 
is the sound of the soundcloud.com slash video blue is a place where you can hear more from Jim and all of his music and he's also on Twitter at video blue music so give him a follow Uh, our our final guest this week we mentioned at the top of the show she's an acclaimed playwright and actor who has performed her wonderful shows all over the world Salpadine is my boyfriend one you may have heard of Uh, she also had a show called uh, user not found it's my party conference and I'll cry if I want to and our father I'm talking of course about Stephanie Preisner um so uh, yeah, she dropped in to do our show as part of the Lingo Festival, um, the uh, last year, and um, yeah, she did a she did a short set and uh, she did one bit about uh, Facebook, and we thought that's perfect for this uh, IRL themed show, and so we are going to take it and put it in after I stop talking. So here is Stephanie Preisner. Um, so this one is about... I deleted Facebook in February, yeah? Because it was really fucking annoying me. And um, I just couldn't cope with all the complaining and stuff. And also I found out that I was like... Had become like really far from the person that I was pretending to be on it. So it was just time to go. Um, yeah. More about that. Never. Um, okay. So uh, this is about why I deleted Facebook, yeah? Um... I scrolled through my newsfeed. People protesting to their friends about this country making them angry. Hungry for a fight with people they call friends. About things they could probably fix but lack the effort. Stop stoning women in eastern Iran. Child goes missing after man sees white van. 40-year-old man missing in County Cork. New credit card fraud pattern hits New York. Save a child with cancer with 4,000 likes. Fuck the cunts who stole my bike. Does anyone have an apartment to let? I can't cope with the rain. My Ugg boots are wet. Please vote for this photo taken by a pal of mine. We need to do something about Palestine. When you throw chewing gum... A a bird thinks it's bread, bombing in Syria, 10,000 dead. Don't stop and give directions to a forlorn stranger. Please share this or your children are in danger. Click like if you support gay rights. Does anyone know where I can find cheap flights? Fight obesity, give kids child-sized portions. I have an opinion about abortion. My newsfeed filling with angry words from angry heads, written with angry fingers in angry beds, sitting in couched, couched in inertia, Sit back and complain that they've all deserted you. Everyone says no in Helvetica, in Helvetica bold. No to Endon, no to Eamon, no to the tax on the household. To pay cuts and pay increases and property tax. Writing fucking no on Facebook isn't changing the facts. Bondholders are scum and why won't the ministers listen to my fake Facebook posts I'm writing on my own in my kitchen. Socialism is brilliant. Let's all hold hands. Quick, there's an ethical issue in Africa. I'm with the band. Don't say no one's listening to you when they can't even hear because you're not opening your mouth. Your laptop has no ears and now there's no drying out and no stress in the evening, ask Santa for whatever, but please, within reason, and all of a sudden, social networks are filled with please. All I want for Christmas is the abolition of imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy. 
All right, lads. Santa will see what he can do. Occupy Sesame Street. Big Bird's obese. Why is the dole getting fucking decreased? Keep camp sure it's grand. We have a German ATM. Spewing money, we forget that we have to pay back to them. You missed the Celtic Tiger like you missed Dorian Gray. It was a fictional thing. It didn't come and go away. We got money to bail us out of the last depression. Germany gave us money to fight the 80s recession. And then we forgot that we had to pay it back. And for 20 years, we just had the crack. Spending money we never really had. Lending and borrowing. Building houses on flood pains and eternal tomorrowing. How many of you got SSIAs? Putting money in accounts for a rainy day. Now, in what logical world does it figure to you that if you put in one euro, you get back two? That wasn't our money to blow or to spend. And now it's gone and we've forgotten that we're back here again. It's like taking a painkiller for a broken arm and when the pain goes away, you've forgotten you've done any harm. And you go boxing for an hour and practice self-defense and when the painkiller wears off, you're surprised at the consequence. Money doesn't grow on trees and yet banks have branches, but they break when you climb trees and there are no more chances. Stephanie's new TV series Can't Cope, Won't Cope just finished filming and will air on RT2 in October. It also stars Amy Huberman. You can follow Stephanie Preisner at Steph Preisner. That's S-T-E-F-P-R-E-I-S-S-N-E-R and check her out. Check her out. Why did I say it like that, Shane? I'm really I sorry. Know. I thought you said you weren't going to say check it out. That was the, the phrase you were going to start to eliminate from your podcast vocabulary. I just remembered I've done that every single time. <laughs> That's terrible. Check it out. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, like I find when I'm like tweeting about things that I want people to look at, yeah. I will. My first go to is check it out. But it's very sort of 90s sort of. Radio DJ? Yeah. All right. Well, why don't but it's you okay, take... though. Is it? It's okay. I All think right. people say it. I mean, it's kind of weird that we still say cool, isn't it? I've always thought that. Yeah. Cool. Is that because like fridges were a novelty in the 50s? What? You know, like the phrase cool. You're saying that that's why. No, I'm that's asking. Where the, no. where the phrase cool, as in good, came from. Because of fridges. I'm just asking. I mean, you don't have to make me sound like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> you could just, you know, you just could, you could like spar back with me here, you know, instead of making me look like a bully. <laughs> <laughs> it's time people knew. Anyway, like I said, check it out <laughs> at Steph Preisner. Um, it's totally bodacious. It sure is. Uh, thank you so much for downloading and listening this week. Uh, make sure you have hit subscribe wherever you do your pod catching. And feel free to give the podcast a rating or a comment and or recommend to your friends. It all helps loads. So much. So um, much in, in sort of getting us uh, more visible to other people. You know, I, you know, because I know sometimes when you have a podcast you like, and presumably one or two of you out there like this podcast, and you kind of feel like, that's my thing, I don't want anyone else to listen to it. That's no good for us. That's no good for us. We need lots of people to like the podcast. Um, so yeah, please do give it a, a comment, rate, and subscribe on YouTube. That really helps. And more importantly, if you happen to know the etymology of the word cool, yeah, give us a shout. Give us a, give us a tweet us, maybe, or, or, or Facebook us, or Instagram us. We're on all three. At the weekly GM is the handle on all three, so so do say hello. Um, yeah, cool. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Thanks for being here, Neil. You're welcome. Uh, you're not going <laughs> to thank me. Th- I'll tell you who I will thank. I will thank our producer Elish Bracken. Yes. Our engineer and mixer Emma Butt. Yes. Many thanks to our sponsors, the Vodafone Comedy Festival. Yes. Thank you very much to our listeners Absolutely, for listening. Yeah, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Chat to you then. Bye.